0: Hey, welcome back to Let's Make Work Human. Today, we're talking with Brandon Laws. Brandon's the marketing leader at Xenium HR and leads their product team. He also hosts the awesome Transform Your Workplace podcast, which is where I met him when I was a guest a couple of years ago. He's a great interviewer. This week, we turn the tables on him and make Brandon the guest. Brandon's been around the HR world for a while now, and in this episode, we get into it about human resources. We talk about what's going well, what's going not so well, and what can be changed. We discuss my idea for a complete reframe of HR. Spoiler alert, it is big. We talk about taking risks, saying what you really think and why it matters so much at work. HR is complex and evolving, but what fun we had today talking with Brandon about HR and it's just the beginning of a larger conversation. We hope you enjoy it. Imagine if work was actually good for people. Not just for a few people, but for everyone in every job. Sadly, work today is often not only not good, but is actually terrible for the human beings who work there. We can do better. On this podcast, my friend and colleague, May Ratz and I, Mo Carrick, with our amazing guests, bring you both the hard questions and the real solutions to reimagining and resetting every workplace from the tiny mom and pop to the mega company to be good for people. When we thrive at work instead of just survive, everyone wins. Let's take
1: a look at what it takes to make work human. Welcome. How's everybody doing? Welcome to Let's Make Work Human. Mo, who are we chatting with?
0: Hello, May. So good to see you. And Brandon Laws, so excited to have you on the podcast today. Thank you for taking time to chat with us.
2: Thanks for having me on.
0: So Brandon, you're a fellow Oregonian, which I love. You run your own marketing firm. You also head up product and marketing work at Xenium Consulting, and you have an awesome podcast, which I was privileged to be part of in the launch of one of my books, which was originally called HR for Small Business, and now has hands down one of my favorite titles for a podcast, which is Transform Your Workplace. And so um, there, I want everybody, I want our audience to really get to know about the work you're doing and the impact you're having on the world. So we're going to kind of jump right in because again, like I want to leverage, there's like a lot more about your story than what is in this intro, but people can all find that detail in the show notes, but suffice it to say, you've got this podcast, you work for an HR consulting firm. I'm really curious about when you think back on your career. Do you have a sliding door moment? Do you know what I'm referencing? You know that movie, that Gwyneth Paltrow movie where she goes into the subway and the door changes, and she I've
2: actually never seen that.
0: Oh my gosh! It's a it's a really kind of cult classic movie, but it's like if the door is closed, she has one life because she doesn't get on the train, and if the door is open. She has another life and the movie takes her through like the life. And it's all about like, what are the sort of the sliding door moments that determine the path? So in terms of your career, do you have one of those?
2: I can think back to two sliding door moments and they're, they're very, they're very different. So one, I was coming out of college. I got a business management degree with entrepreneurship minor. I had no idea what I necessarily wanted to do. I did a very short stint in insurance sales and I say short stint because it was miserable time. I'm not trying to offend like the insurance industry. It was just not for me. It was like, I felt transactional that I wasn't adding value, whatever. But I, I learned how to network, how to market myself, mm. how to build a website. I basically like had a crash course in digital marketing and networking. Cause I didn't learn that in college, you know? So that was that was one, and that put me on a path to like I, I joined Xenium in two thousand eight, right during the recession. Oh, wow! And I started in an operations role, you know, at the mm-hmm. lowest level. Like I was the in, most entry level position there. We were twenty five employees at the time. I did a, a couple of years in that operations role, and they didn't have a marketing department, and they were outsourcing like a newsletter and editing the website to some freelancer and I was like I've got the skills to do this like let me do that and so I started taking on some of those things and then at one point and this may have been like a year and a half into working at Zenium there was an opportunity for me to become our at the time was probably like a sales and marketing specialist it was basically supporting the sales team and then doing all the marketing stuff and then there's this other position that came available too because somebody might have been leaving. It was a like a benefits representative job because we do third party administration and benefits stuff for our clients as well. That was going to be more money. That position I remember at the time versus the sales and marketing. This is a brand new position, but it was like two different paths. Right. And I remember at the time one of the VPs who I didn't report to him or anything, but he pulled me aside and he's like, "This benefits job would it would report to me and it'd it'd be great. I'd love to have you on my team." He's mm. like, but if "I'm you." I go closer to the revenue. You're going to have more growth opportunity. It's going to be a long-term better play for you. He was not wrong. I chose Mm -hmm. that and I've learned so much along the way. I've been at Zenium for 14 years. So I've, Mm -hmm. my entire career, I've like built out the marketing department. I've taken on product, which is the technology, like the payroll uh, system and all the things that go along with it. But that was my path. Those were two sliding door moments that I always look back to of like if anything if I made a different decision, it would have been complete opposite. I don't even know where I'd be.
0: Oh my gosh, I love that so much. I love those two stories so much because I hear from young people like my own children who are 20s and 30s and my friends' children like they ask they asked me being the age I am like, what, how did you end up doing the work you're doing? I feel like that's one of the most common questions I get. And it's, I think back to it similarly, like, wow, I really don't know because I couldn't have seen this coming, you know, yeah. but then this door opened or I made a decision that put me on this path. So I love, I love that. And and it sounds like too, it's interesting. Both of those are sort of brave decisions, right? Like, uh-huh. you know, doing something that you maybe it wasn't as, um, predictable or as much of a sure thing or even based on your formal training
2: right it, these were these were brave decisions i did not make them quick though i'm a very cautious decision maker i like to look at all the facts i like to talk to a lot of people and just take on all those inputs and then finally make a decision but i i do not make snap judgment decisions I, like it's if you know some people make gut reactions like in these cases i definitely took my time <laughs>
0: Right. So you really analyze those decisions before you jumped in. I love that. And, and I'm struck with, okay, May. so I'm going to already change the script of our plan of what we're going to talk about. Right okay. You have had a couple sliding door moments in your career that were perhaps not as well thought out or as detail oriented. Oh my God. London. It's, it's true. So, That's true. So uh, you got to tell us about one.
1: Well, I was a division one swimmer in college and I was pretty positive that I was going to go to med school and I had never taken an art class in my life in high school or anything. I took choir to get that elective because I just didn't (laughs) think I had it in me. Then through some stuff that happened my junior year, um, I got pulled into an office and said that my full ride scholarship was going to change to a 10% scholarship. So I could either pay to get my butt kicked or I could leave. (laughs) And I was like 30 minutes from paying my MCAT like payment to go take the Mcat and I decided to go um I decided to walk so I paid I like like did the paperwork and walked away and I called my mom and I was like oh hi I have no life plan anymore it's now over I've <laughs> ha thanks and she gave me some great advice which was like be as sad as you're going to be for as long as you're going to be sad and then make a list of the scariest things you want to do with your life and then pick the scariest one and we're going to do it and I was like, okay, great. See you in 70 years. <laughs> you know, like. And I got through my sadness and I like ate enough, I don't know, spaghettios or something. And then I picked the scariest thing on this list that I had made. And the scariest thing on the list was to go to art school. And i that's how I ended up in Portland. Um, it was because I went to Portland sight unseen. I got into an art school there and I went to art school and started over because they don't take any biology credits, turns out, at art school. And then – I ended up in the design department, which is then how I became a creative director. And then eventually how I tr- talked my way into this job with Mo, because I was like, I think I can do the things you're missing. and She was like, I don't really. I was like, yeah, I'll do them for free. And she sent me an email that was like, we don't do stuff for free. And I'm too busy to have coffee with you. And I was like, no. So I sent a lot of emails and now I'm here. Like my sliding door moments have been like me wrenching the door back open,
0: putting your foot in the door, <laughs> your whole body in the door. Get in done. yeah, get back in here. I love that. I love hearing from both of you because we got Brandon who's like, I, I had these sliding door moments. I, really <laughs> I analyzed it. I look at the pros and cons, and this like, dear mom, <laughs> <I don't laughs> today, and I no longer want to be a doctor that I've worked for my whole life. <laughs> I have now, yeah, I've exploded my life. I love it. And I think both from where I sit, both are totally valid because, you know, we don't know until we know, especially when it comes to our careers. This is what I feel like I'm telling my children all the time. Like you just don't know until you know, and then you know, and also what you know today may not be what actually, you know, tomorrow. Which is that, you know, we don't have just one career in our lives, usually most of us. And I think the younger generations are going to have multiple things that they're doing that are really interesting and really stimulating and sometimes really, really divergent. So I love that.
1: Thank you. There's a lot of pressure to know. There's a lot of pressure. It feels like everything is, that you're supposed to have a 401k, like immediately. I still feel some shame for not having a 401k, even though I have a job that no one else has where I love going to work. And like the societal pressure to have decided my forever mm-hmm. career is there. It's trying it's to, really I'm wild. I'm trying to get you a 401k, just so you know. <laughs> but it's not the 401k. You know what I mean? Like, you, it's like the the settled feeling when people yeah. are like, "So you're there forever." And even though I know that that's not what we're doing anymore, even though I'm struck with Brandon, you're like having your 15 year reunion or your 15 year yeah. anniversary.
2: I know, and it's weird because hearing your story, where it's like your whole life kind of blew up right in a moment and you had to make a decision. And I'm like, my whole life has been kind of calculated and planned. And I'm like taking the boring linear route. <laughs> like I, I had a 401k when I was 18 years old. I worked really hard in school to pay for college. I yeah. knew sort of what I wanted to do. Like, and I've, I've stayed in this, in this job. Cause I love it by the way, but Good. it's you know, wanted a house at a certain age. I wanted to make a certain amount of money by a certain age. I wanted two kids at a certain, like it was all very calculated and planned. And wow. it's, it's boring for most people. Like it's, well, you know, I hear
0: you. Well, first of all, this is a judgment shame free zone on this yeah. podcast. So none of that, none of that ass kicking himself. We're all about <laughs> self-compassion. So like you did what you did. Cause it all made sense at the time, you know, like the rest of us. And it's interesting though, that you say boring because, I really think that what you've done is pretty bold. You know, especially in the space, and we're going to dig into this a little bit more of human resources, human resources, consulting, yeah. and even having a podcast on behalf of Zenium that's called Transform Your Workplace is actually, for me, it's innovative. You've been speaking some of the truths that I know resonate with me and with us at Momentum for a long time. And so, okay, yeah, there's it's easy to like, label that judgment that this is a boring linear path, but by the same token, your voice has been steady, strong, and pretty bold in the space
2: you're in. That's, that's, that's a really nice way to look at it.
1: (laughs) I've got a couple, I got, I got a question. So the description that you gave us, nobody, unfortunately we weren't recording the like juicy bits in the beginning. So sorry, everybody that's listening, but I'll try to fill you in. But Brandon said these words, these are, this is me just like regurgitating a little. So bear with me. These are my words, not Brandon's. But you said, I have strong opinions about HR and leadership And you also promised you weren't going to hold back on this podcast so good that's on the that's now 12 minutes in and but then you say that you are like very calculated and boring so those two things don't align actually they don't
2: they don't and i think what i was telling you before we started recording is like i have played it safe with transform your workplace i don't i don't because i'm the host i get to ask questions i get to create the script Sure. I And, you know, and whatever the guest does is fine, but I don't usually insert my opinions one way or another. I'm just trying to make it a safe, a brave space platform for them to be able to shine and say something different, even if I don't agree with it, quite frankly.
1: Whoa. Yes. Okay. So this, Brandon, I'm so glad you said that. Okay. So just to be clear, Brandon is not the host, which means that he gets to let it ride on this one it's to just let, let it all the opinions fly right now so i'm
2: comfortable doing it but okay I, that's okay
1: we're the we're the queens of discomfort yeah let's yeah. go for it um if the world the more the market was a stormy ocean and you're watching <laughs> you're hearing all these people you're seeing it for 15 years what are you what are you seeing that the sinking ships are doing and what are you seeing that the sailing ships are doing
2: i thought a lot about this because i i sort of been prepped a little bit with this question and I was sort of, I was thinking about it and I was thinking the sinking ships, they're the ones that are, they've got the buckets out and they're trying to get the fucking water out as fast as they can, but they're not fixing the problem. So their analogy to that would be they're fighting the daily fires of the bullshit of work Mm -hmm. and whether it's like client stuff, it's internal drama, whatever it may be, but they're not fixing the problem which could mean a lot of different things. It could be implementing a tool or technology. It could be communication standards. It could be like, you're not even even doing performance management with your employees. And so the boats are sinking because all these things are bubbling up nonstop and it's drowning them. Versus if the boats that are sailing, they have figured it out. They've built scale to their business. They've implemented the right tools. They're communicating with their employees. They're helping them develop they're on the path. They're going to get to the beautiful destination, island, whatever, whatever their goals are.
1: It's a, it's a difference between dealing with water out versus the holes, like right. looking at the actual boat. Yeah, isn't that interesting of like, it's happening to us. Like the water's happening to us as opposed to like, why is the water in here?
2: Right. Yeah. The thing is, I get it because, you know, we've got jobs, we've got our personal stuff that we bring to work too. So that it does feel like the, the, the boats taken on water, sinking, whatever the, the analogy you want to use, all of it becomes a lot. So if we can, especially in the workplace, if we can as leaders build space for our people to think creatively, strategically, work on things that are outside of their role once in a while, just give them the space to think clearly They might come up with innovative ideas they might be able to think about doing their work a different way they may be able to help you implement a technology they may invent something for god's sake, Mm -hmm. that could change the landscape of your business we're in a weird time in business i don't know if you're paying attention all this ai stuff it's so noisy and it feels uneasy for a lot of organizations it's like on one side because i'm using this in marketing as i'm sure you are may on one side, it's like, this is cool. I've optimized my work. I can I can get through what used to take me hours of work in like five seconds. And then, yeah. you know, put my creative spin on it. And then on the other side is like, all these giant companies are implementing this inside of their systems. And it's going to wipe everybody out. My mm-hmm. job is no more. Yeah. You know, it, that's how it feels too. So there's two sides to this. And it just all of it, it's, it's all happening right now. And it feels... <sighs> especially amid a recession. Yes. We're not sure if we're in one or we are, you know, there's a lot of uncertainty right now. And then all this technology advance. it's leaders need to rise up. That's all I'm saying.
0: Leaders need to rise up. Hallelujah. And I'm here, there's like, for me, there's a strong connection to what you're saying, right? Because, um, and in Brave Space Workplace, which I'm. this is top of mind for me because I am in rewrites right now for the, the second edition of the book, which is actually turned out to be a little bit of, of a different book because of the incredibly valuable research we have that comes out of the workplace post-COVID-19, right? So I'm I'm excited about that. But in the original book, there was a chapter which will probably retain the same name, which is uh, AI, Machines and Robots, oh my, right? And, I, and in there, I'm talking about what is the impact going to be? on technology, on us as humans. And it's here. We are here. We have arrived. It's huge. And you're absolutely right. I think from what I'm seeing, it's extremely destabilizing. But the truisms that come up for me about both how do leaders create, and I would say even, I would even delete the word clearly, like do leaders, are leaders able to create time for their employees to think, period, to actually use what they have available to them, which is their mind, their spirits, their hearts to do the work that they're meant to do in that organization takes a little bit of time. When we do that, though, then we get to contribute our highest and best use, which is actually different than what the machines can do for us. Mm -hmm. We are spending a lot of time at Momentum talking about what can AI not do for you, right? Because I actually love some of the stuff it can do for me, Mm -hmm. but I've got to be rigorously clear what can it not do do for me. It cannot inspire my employees to feel motivated for the purpose that my company exists for. It cannot build trust. It cannot invoke humor, Mm -hmm. right? It cannot discern without data to make a decision. So those become human skills that only our people can do. So I think we're going to see this like separation of like, what can the humans do? That's unique. That is a lot about connection Messy humanity, the things we're talking about, and then what can the machines do? Which is going to be about data analysis and outputting from that. You know, so for me, it's really exciting, but it's not easy. It's easy to be anxious, and and also where I do get anxious is do we do we subvert humanity again because of what the machines can do? Where you know, mm. I think about this even. I recently uh, wrote. I decided to, you know, we're experimenting with AI. So I I wanted to write a uh, SOP. So I'm like, write SOP on this thing. And it did. And it was about 80% there. But that 20% was actually pretty important that I have an input into an opinion for about what will work in my business. Now, that saved me a lot of time than having to create that whole SOP myself. But by the same token, without that 20%, it would not, it would make my company like every company.
2: That's the thing with this AI stuff that people are doing mm-hmm. to it's, it's almost becoming a singularity in some respects because they're prompting it the same way. It's like, you're going to ask the same question. Everybody's going to have the same output and there's no creativity or flair to it. Yeah. It was like the other day I was trying to prove a point with somebody about like, you know, how are people going to use this in the HR space? And I, I think I wrote like I posed a question that maybe a, a typical client of Zenims would ask an employee complains about a manager for being a bully. What steps do I take as an HR person? know so i just prompted that that question and it gave me an entire framework like 10 steps Mm -hmm. like build a safe space to have a conversation uh document you know it's like a whole framework but it didn't have like the nuances of like human behavior in there so i was like at the very bottom and it even said like Mm -hmm. you need to take a customized approach with any conversation that's sensitive like this and it was like that's actually pretty spot on too if you think about it it's like okay here's a framework that you can follow like if i didn't have a framework now As a manager, I have something to follow, but there's going to be the human aspect in between that's going to help you navigate the conversation because it's not an easy one. So the human plus AI is better together Yes, because it's highest and best use. It's like speeding up time that we're spending on like the crap and freeing us up to have these deeper conversations and make a bigger impact.
0: Well, totally. I love that example of like that, the machine that the AI said to you, like, make a safe space, because that's something that we, you know, we talk about, obviously, brave space all the time. And how do you create it um, in with employees? And it's, it's uh, extremely nuance and very much connected to the limbic brain and our pheromonal response and emotional intelligence, which is not something that AI can do. So how do I actually learn that? Then becomes a question, how the heck do I create a brave space? Because I can't actually read the steps of that in a machine. The other thing that I'm really struck with that ties a little bit, I think, to what you were saying about where the boats are sinking and where the boats are floating has to do with real inclusion for me because that's the other risk I see that makes me keeps me up at night a little bit around AI is that garbage in is garbage out yeah. with it so uh, we know that our AI is as biased as we are and so how, what are we doing to interrupt that system now systemically built bias based on historical data sets to to create uh more actual diversity and inclusion because i i i I have some fear about
2: that. Have you thought through that? Because I don't even know what that looks like. I haven't even thought about that, honestly. I know I know there's in, inherent biases within the AI because there's, you know, engineers with biases programmed it at some point. And then the rest yes. of us who have biases are inputting prompts and it's learning, right? All yes. of that is just feeding the system. So have, have you thought through how to cut mm-hmm. through that?
0: Well, it's really interesting. No, the answer I have is no, I haven't thought through how to cut through. I haven't thought through clearly how to cut through it. I do think that there is a role for regulation here. You know, European AI, for example, quotes sources. One of the problems with the AI we're having here in North America is you can't find the source. Where did that data come from? You actually can't find it. It's hidden behind the, the algorithm. And so that is suspect. Right. And I'm reminded of one of the studies that I think you both are familiar with around um, the study that was done about our responses to threat and the whole fight, flight, and freeze research that was done in the 1950s that was repeated in the 1980s, I think, is when it was repeated to add two dimensions, which are tend and befriend. And the reason that those so now we have five common responses to threat fight, flight, Freeze, tend, and befriend. Those last two were added when the data set that was studied was expanded to include women because the initial data set included only men, probably mm-hmm. mostly white men. So to me, that kind of study, which was an in-person study, an interview-based qualitative study, was, is actually the exact problem that we see with, with AI, which is that the data sets that are input into the system are disproportionately advantaging or even studying some versus others. So we have to change the data set. We have to make sure that we have, that we understand what is the data set and then that we're, that we're changing the data set so that we get more equivocal data. And that unfortunately is not all on us. It's on the actual developers of the technology, which is where I get anxious because I'm not that and I won't ever be that.
1: Well,
2: and did you read recently how they, <clears throat> a lot of big tech leaders are wanting to push a pause on this because of like how fast things are developing and they're just so afraid of like what's to come with the the next big development?
1: And I, and I don't know where that. that's
2: going to be, but I, yeah. I'm fascinated by that.
0: Yeah, I agree. And I think we need to look no farther than social media in terms of the impact the the deleterious societal impact on something that's related to technology that seemed like a good idea at the time and it has you know singularly disrupted connection Mm. and increased mental health problems bigger than probably anything in my lifetime besides 19 maybe so that Mm. like that's where i get nervous so it's a love-hate thing isn't it it's like
2: it's weird because it in in some ways it's like we're more connected than ever, but we're f- so much further apart because of how divisive social media makes us. it's It's the weirdest thing.
0: It is the weirdest thing and I, and I and yet it's um, profound. I mean, we made a decision in the business in January of this year to come off all social media except LinkedIn for the business. So we're no longer on Instagram and no longer on Facebook. Yeah, but it was a decision we talked about, what was it, May? Probably almost two years before we actually did it. Um, And I was, in particular, very anxious about it. And I've like, since now it's been, what, five months, four months, we're into that change. And I feel so glad that we did it. So glad, just because partly because of like marketing focus and community focus, where are our buyers, all of that. But also a lot of it is about the amount of time and the amount of comparative shaming that I'm doing is way less because even I, in my advanced age and as a, you know, mature woman, who's right now today is mentally, you know, feeling stable. I still get triggered by what happens in the social media world around my competitors, who's doing what, where am I less than? And I find myself thinking, God, what about the children, the young people, the vulnerable who are doing that? Uh, constantly
2: seeing a curated. I've got life. kids who are 11 and 10 years old, boy, girl, I'm watching them starting to like, you know, interact on like YouTube and talk to friends. And I'm like, I'm so worried about the comparison thing, especially yeah. as they advance in age and just mature. Mm-hmm. I'm so worried about that. Cause I'd see it for myself. It's like, you can't help, but to think like, Oh wow. There's so-and-so in the Dominican Republic or in Hawaii and their big, big house. And you're like, I'm not, how come I'm not doing that? You know, it's so hard to, to go there and not compare.
0: Yeah. That I'm not that thin, that I'm not that rich, that I'm, I don't have that good ideas, or I don't have that many likes. I don't have a blue check next to my name, you know? Um, and I think it drives disconnection, not, real connection which doesn't mean that i don't think it can be fun and perhaps in some cases it can help us build community but it's like we have to be cautious which is why i actually appreciate that there are some tech leaders saying wait a second you know on this ai thing like wait a second i'm like yeah you are the ones who know wait a freaking second and help us be responsible with how we use it
1: fun fact did you hear that pink uh isn't giving her daughter a social social media on her phone until her daughter can come up with a presentation about with true research that social media is not bad for kids and her kid just can't come up (laughs) with it you know so pink's like all right I'll
0: wait
1: (laughs) yeah (laughs) well on this note because I love this like the leaders need to rise up and I'm also I'm struck with that that you can say that leaders need to rise up and that we're also naming this very scary thing This like very actually specific piece which is this AI piece which is like one side is the fear of like we all watch 2001 all right like how lives everybody spoiler and then the other side of like it's very very helpful so there is this like messiness even in this very specific piece of work um mm-hmm. so rising up is like very it's a big job <laughs> like it's a very large job to do that so Brandon will you tell us what you learned leadership was? when you first took in messages about leadership, knowing what you know now that has led you to say leaders need to rise up in this moment of real, like, what do you know about leadership now?
2: My inputs to leadership came really early. I didn't recognize it at the time though, until like business school and being in the workplace. I played sports all throughout my life, baseball, basketball, football. And you had those coaches as I may, I'm sure you did cause you're, you're a swimmer. You had those coaches that were sometimes, command and control, directing the work, yelling at you. That doesn't feel good, right? And then you have the coaches that were like, they pull you aside, they show you how to do something a little differently, but in a really thoughtful way, like truly coaching.
0: Well, hello. Are you enjoying this conversation? We really want to know. Please rate and review the Let's Make Work Human podcast wherever it is that you listen to it. It really matters to us. And right now we're particularly interested in feedback as we wrap up season two and get into season three. As a self-funded podcast, your rates, reviews, shares, and downloads really matter a lot to us. Thank you so much, and we'll check in with you at the end.
2: When I got to the workplace and I had various managers throughout my time, I I started working when I was 16, so I've had various jobs. I, I had one job throughout college that was union environment, and it was very much like manager does not trust you as an employee. And so I saw that, got into working at Xenium, and we do consulting and we work with various clients across all these industries. So I've talked to a lot of leaders. And of course, on the podcast, I've talked to a lot of leaders. And then in hearing people talk, I finally was able to name what I've experienced, which is leadership is about coaching people. It's about unlocking the best version of themselves. So they're empowered to create whatever it is they want to create, like give them the space to like learn and grow and develop their career and think of new stuff versus the alternative is you're a, you're a directive manager who shits on their employees all the time. And they're (laughs) fearful all the time. They come to work, not knowing what kind of manager they're going to get. They're always feeling like you're looking over their shoulder. They're not bringing their best version to work every day. And they, They're a shell of themselves. I know. I've experienced it. I'm sure you guys have too.
0: Okay. You just Mm -hmm. took the lid off the whole, I'm politically correct right now, because in one paragraph, you said that the managers shit on their employees and people are a shell of themselves, (laughs) which I think is exactly the toxicity that most of us as human beings in the workplace have exactly experienced and the deleterious impact of that. Mm is, is uh, long lasting, isn't it?
2: I will say this, and this is why I've stayed <laughs> at Zenium for over 14 years. It's, by the way, it's women led too. So our I'm on our executive team as well. I'm the only male. And I've worked along women for this 14 <laughs> years. And they're, not to say like women are the only compassionate, empathetic people, but I've been around some amazing leaders and I got to watch them firsthand. I'm like, that is the kind of leader I want to be when I grow up like our president now and Donovan, I mean, from the mm-hmm. very day one, like I started, she had the biggest smile on her face. She would ask me questions. She would just, she would encourage me about the work that I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I saw the way she treated other people. Uh, my direct manager who I've had for 13 years, the way she empowers me gives me the autonomy and space to create. I don't show up to work with fear. I'm like, she's my biggest fan. And I, I'm like, that's the kind of leader I want to be. That's the kind of leader I want. That's why I'm saying this right now. I want other people who are listening to say, like, oh, that's what it means to be a leader. Is you're you're coaching people, you're empowering them, you're stepping aside to let them create. And I don't know if that's all attributed to like women in leadership, but I, I there's something to unlock there.
0: I oh my gosh, that is <laughs> awesome. And and yeah. I I agree 100. percent I would just underline. I, I don't think this is exclusive exclusively about People who identify as women, I think it's a skill set which probably broadly fits in the realm Mm -hmm. of emotional intelligence and and interpersonal relationships.
2: Exactly. And I was always super emotional as a a kid, and then as as a leader uh, in in the working place, I was able to unlock that. I thought it was like Mm -hmm. irrational behavior, and I'm like I couldn't control anything. It felt like at the time I'd cry all the time
1: Mm -hmm. and
2: overthink stuff, and I still. Do, to a certain extent, but I've been able to harness that as like a, a, a good leadership trait. It's so like I'm in tune to people's emotions. I ask, truly care about them, and you know, and how they're showing up to work and their life and, and all that. And I think there's it's not just it's not just a one type of person or another. It's just I think we can unlock these skills. Emotional intelligence can be learned.
0: Absolutely. And you said something so powerful there around. Um, you know, you said I I I was really emotional as a kid, and I I love what um Glennon Doyle. Says you might have heard Glennon's podcast, which is fabulous, and she was a contributor to the a quote on on one of my books. Um, I love some of the work she puts in the world. But one of the things that she says it's so powerful. She's talked about her own kid who is a you know been is a highly sensitive kid, and Glennon, Glennon talks about herself that way. And she says, you know, it's not the highly sensitive people that are broken; they are actually feeling the world the way that it really is. And and the bridge for me is that we all have. The emotions that you have. Every human being on this planet, man, woman, other identity, black, brown, able-bodied, mm-hmm. not all of us have the same emotional life inside of us as human beings. It's what connects us all. So it's, it's what I'm hearing you say is that the, the good leaders you've worked for have seen, activated, and valued the, the fullness of, of all of that for you yeah. rather than having you have to leave some of that at home
2: care about the the true the unique individual that they are the good leaders mm-hmm.
0: yeah, and they
2: recognize that not everybody's built the same yep. so you you do have to flex and under seek to understand i mean that i think at the core of it that's that's mm-hmm. what it is right it's connection it's like seeking to understand like i have a few employees and they're they're wired completely different and so i'll, I'll ask them different questions i'll try to bring out the best in each of them, they're, they're unique individuals. We have to, we have to celebrate that.
1: Okay. I'm going to move right along to HR uh, because Brandon and I've heard, you know, some stuff about this, but I don't. Okay. Let's just be clear. I know, I know very surface level about the, the inner workings of HR, but I am pretty securely locked into the train alongside mode that HR has got some changing to do. Um, just based off of what we hear on a daily basis and um, from HR leaders too about how messy it has become. HR was built for one thing and is getting asked to do uh, many things that maybe it was not built to do. And what are you seeing about that um, out there is question number one. And what do you think, this is the keyword, but like, what do you think is very critical for the HR world to get through their skulls in order to move into the next bits of their lifespan because I oh, think there's right. a misunderstanding out there <laughs> about HR. Uh, so can you clear can you clear some of that away for us?
2: Okay, so first I want to preface this: I am not okay. an HR professional by trade. I did not go to school for it. I all of the HR knowledge that I know is because it's through osmosis. It's like I've worked with HR people, very smart, capable, amazing people. There's like. 40 consultants inside of H uh, So I've worked alongside of them because I have regular conversations. I'm on leadership team with them. I I have regular conversations and I have this podcast where I'm talking about HR all the time and I create content for it. So I, through that I've Mm -hmm. sort of developed my own stance on, on HR. I think I know enough. I'll just say that not the compliance side, HR historically, (laughs) I'm going to sum it up by saying it's all, it was always to maximize productivity of employees, yeah. it still, to some respects, is that right? Like for a mm-hmm. business, especially, is like you're trying to maximize the the person, but it's become so layered with compliance and strategy, and there's like there's just all these different aspects of the HR function, and it's so easy, especially if you're not structured correctly, to get bogged down with the bullshit of HR, which is administration at the end of it. It's open enrollment, it's benefit rate renewals, compliance, it's Oregon paid leave. And how do we, you know, structure our payroll system to take that tax out of the paychecks? It's how do you get the payroll system and HR and benefits all talking to each other and now I got to vet a new technology. And it's like it just fire. And then you might get a manager who's bullying an employee. And now you got to go do an investigation. You just get bogged down with the day-to-day crap of HR. And I feel for these HR people. Like think about the when the pandemic started. I talked to a lot of these consultants that I work mm-hmm. with. They were going through it. Like we all were going through this together. That was the thing. It was like we we're all kind of connected in some ways because it's like we don't know what, how to navigate This, this is all new. But these consultants... We're like trying to be there for the employers, you know, in-house HR people, same same thing. They're like, okay, now I've got to like all these compliance things. I got to go learn it all. Then I got to go help implement it and keep everything else that I was already doing afloat. And then I'm also supposed to analyze our compensation for increases because inflation's rampant. Like, so there's just, oh, <laughs> it's yeah. a constant barrage of day-to-day administration, the stuff that we can never get to because it's going to help our business long-term. It's like that the boat analogy that we were using before. It's like, Mm -hmm. I can't get to the strategy because I'm bogged down and I have no extra resources. So that's current state Mm -hmm. is how do you navigate that? And I think the great HR leaders out there, if you're listening right now, the great HR leaders will figure out how to use tools and technology and third-party vendors. I mean, like the plug for Xenium, of course, to have a plug and play infrastructure where you can streamline some of the day-to-day stuff that typically would bog you down if you're doing a manual. That way you can get freed up to to focus on the strategy, which in my opinion is all about listening to your employees and what they want. The needs of people are changing. And as we just talked about, people are so unique. We're not, you know, back in the industrial Mm -hmm. age when HR systems and business systems were put in place, it was like, everybody's a cog in a wheel, let's go like efficiency. And you could still do some of that. But in the meantime, you have to listen and individualize the experience for employees, the employee experience is everything. And so if you as a manager group, and even an Mm -hmm. HR group, if you're giving the managers the tools to, to have conversations with their employees about what they need, whether it's just truly a support, or like they need unique perks and benefits, that would help them come to work, and be really productive and happy we need to listen to our employees that's where i think hr is going it's personalized experience
0: i love it i love what you're saying about like the the ability to leverage the systems to automate and integrate the administrivia that comes and i agree with you 100% that the the industrial revolution. I think you and I talked about this actually on your podcast, oh, said, you know, the days of Les Miserable are over. Like that's not, you know, where we came from, what HR and people experience, people development was, um, is long outdated. And I have empathy too, Brandon. I love what you're saying. I have empathy for the HR leaders and the HR generalists and the practitioners out there who are trying to hold it to- together. Amidst a tremendous amount of pressure for the largest expense and the most intricate and complex dimension of their success. Because, you know, let's face it, people are what make organizations great. So, HR is typically like overseeing, as you said, the thriving of the people there. For me, that's part of the problem, though. And I find this fascinating. It's something I can't really get my head around. I'm curious how you see it. Because when I look at other strategic functions of every organization, like I'll pick on one, like finance. You know, Most organizations have a CFO, but, but because I have a CFO doesn't mean that if I'm a director of a department that I don't have to know how to balance a budget, it doesn't mean I don't have to know how to manage expenses, how to decide how to recruit the talent I need for the amount of money that they require. Like I have to think about the numbers in my business if I'm a director, but I feel like one of the problems that we collectively own in organizations is that, and I, I find myself asking myself sometimes a question, how did this happen? is that HR and people experience have become the ones responsible for people and culture. I even have systems that don't even let their leaders make decisions about people and culture because it's supposed to be owned by HR. And I'm like, but wait a second, we know our company through our primary leader. That person is the biggest determinant to success for that human being thriving based on the culture they're creating and the safety they're creating and the way that they're connecting, like we're discussing. And to me, HR is a support and an enabler, just like the finance group is a support and an enabler of a director being able to know, know how to balance a budget. But that it doesn't go away from that director's responsibility. So part of me has this feeling that's like, you know, we just inherited that because people are messy. And it's mm-hmm. a lot easier to just say like, oh, let HR handle that, you know, which is why I think problems escalate you know, why we have more litigation than we would like in organizations. So compliance becomes primary because I can't work out my problems directly in my team. So instead, all I can do is file a complaint. Now I'm in an investigation. Now I'm in an employee relations litigation. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, if two people that have a disagreement at work can become capable of talking about it with a compassionate, caring manager face-to-face, that's going to usually solve most of those problems, even around tough issues like inclusion or diversity, so I find myself feeling like HR actually needs to, yes, reinvent itself. Decide what does it, what role does it want to, and then, and then I think organizations on the whole need to come up with something new <laughs> that puts the responsibility for people and culture directly where it should be, which is on the leaders in the system to build a community that creates conditions for human thriving. That's what I'm all about.
2: I I couldn't agree more. I always y- use the like the parallel between HR and marketing, because I look at my marketing functions so, sort of similar to like mm-hmm. HR. Marketing as a centralized unit is not effective. Yeah. But When you give people the messaging, mm-hmm. the tools, the guidance, the coaching, mm-hmm. you know, the people throughout the organization, that's what marketing is. It's building a community. It's like, the employees and the leaders; those are the best marketers. The clients are the best marketers. So, like marketing's job is to harness that and mm-hmm. provide support and the infrastructure for it. HR, HR is the same way. Yes. HR, as a centralized unit to handle all of the the shit that comes up, is not effective. What they well, need to be doing is building a framework, giving them tool, giving giving leaders tools to have conversations, giving employees the tools to lead their one on one. It's it's in support of. That's how I look at it.
0: Yes, and leaving some breadcrumbs or some, like you said, some tools to help people really activate practical behaviors that create those kinds of connections and in the community that we call work that really activate the talents of everybody. So I think we should just be allowed, I think that the world should just say that we can now just redefine this entire profession because we clearly have... (laughs) A point of view of what it needs to be. And again, I have empathy. I don't, I don't think anybody in the profession of HR, which is where my roots are, wanted it to be this way, you know? And yet yeah. it's, become, it's become this. And I think as a result, a lot of leaders think, especially when they're scaling and they get to 50 or 100 employees, they know that their culture and people leadership becomes super important. And so they say to themselves, oh, I got to hire HR. And so they mm-hmm. do. But then they wonder why it doesn't help in some of the most significant ways. And or they wonder why their HR person rapidly gets burnt out because they now have delegated all of those core functions of organizational thriving to a singular, often somewhat junior.
2: I've heard for years, like HR needs a seat at the table. Like that time has come and gone. Like if HR is not at the table right now on your executive team, like you're as an organization, you're missing something.
1: I can't really round this bend on how we fit how we got so miscommunicated on HR in the work world. Because I want to go back, bring into your idea of what you learned from your coaches about leadership of the like the very corporal punishment kind of my words, not yours of kind of leadership on that front of like, you will do it my way. And I do not trust you to do it your way, um, kind of leadership. And I think My guess from knowing not much but listening to this conversation is that it wasn't clear what HR did in the very beginning. And so things have gotten shoveled that direction in the way of like, we can't trust everybody. So someone's got to handle these humans. And what a mistake that has been to just not like take the human route with the people that actually named human resources for Frick's sake. You know, like, can we just... I don't know i feel like there just needs to be a moment of like oh shoot we messed that one up because we weren't clear in the beginning like let's get clear about what it does i
2: think i think i have a kind of a unique perspective on this because like when zenium starts engaging with a new company for example it's almost always in that mo mentioned it it's like that 50 to 100 person range and that's when, like, because compliance starts bubbling up. So, like, I think a business mm-hmm. grows because they, they're offering something unique to the market. And they're just, like, in growth mode. And they're that's all Bold they have. They're, they're just trying to stay afloat. They're <laughs> just trying to keep growing and doing what they and do, right? Yeah. And then... At some point, like certain things will bubble up. It's like, oh my gosh, I don't know how to handle payroll anymore. Or like leave laws start coming into play, you know, certain levels of employees. And so there's like the compliance aspect becomes a pain point and other things like infrastructure wise, it just doesn't scale anymore. So that's when they start thinking about HR. It's not like they're just totally neglecting Mm -hmm. it or saying like, okay, people are cogging. I think they're truly just trying to grow. So I have empathy for these business leaders who are like accidentally growing Exponentially and hadn't had all these HR systems in place. But I think, you know, if if we got entrepreneurs listening here, what what you could do is build infrastructure from day one, knowing that, okay, your people are so important and vital to your business. Like you, unless you're fully automated machines and AI, you got people running your business and they are the most important aspect of growing. So build the HR infrastructure day one. Yeah. Set the culture, the values all of those things, and then all that stuff becomes easier long term totally. because you try to implement an infrastructure at fifty mm-hmm. to one hundred employees, mm-hmm. it's like oh, disaster.
0: Well, the trains already left the station, and and I think I think May, your question is a really good one, and I have to put on like when I put on my academic hat from the body of work that I studied, which is called organizational development. The two fields of human resources and organizational development came from the same impetus, which was, I think you said really well, Brandon, around maximizing productivity in the workplace. And it did all start in the Industrial Revolution. But they Mm -hmm. took different paths. And, you know, organizational development... Unfortunately, I got complaints about my own field because it becomes overly academic. It becomes like mental masturbation rather than like practical boots on the streets about how do we build culture? What does that actually mean? You know, which is some of what we are trying to do and debunk at Momentum is that this work is not rocket science, but it is critical to do early on. But I don't think it's fair to take that whole body of systemic work about how do we create a healthy culture? What is people leadership actually? And how do we embed those skills? Because we don't teach them in MBA school, we don't teach them in medical school, right? Because it's not leadership 101. So how do we embed that? I don't think that all falls in the professional practice area that often is HR. But I think we we tend to think that it does. And so then right. we end up with people thinking that HR will fix all that. And actually, that's not what it was ever designed to do. I feel like those two bodies of work at their best are people experience they come together and they as you described so beautifully Brandon they are offering a basis of unique tools and support for the system to to navigate its people assets for maximum effectiveness but also and this is where maybe I'm so passionate about today also facilitating well-being. In the human beings that work there because it gets better productivity, but it also creates healthier families, healthier communities, reduce our overall healthcare expenses, and helps to save the world. Like for me, there's a big greater good around why should you make sure that your employees are well. And so they they're they're like very adjacent, but I don't think we've done a good job like really talking about and aligning those different dimensions of practice we just lump it all together like that's the people stuff that's HR that's the soft stuff that's you know and it's almost always not on the dashboard not it doesn't start at the beginning of an organization we don't think about it until we have to because we're hurting and uh, you know we don't do that about other functions
1: finance right hello (laughs) exactly yeah just hire a finance person when you're hurting when It'll you, be well, fine. Yeah, when you, you get got a hundred people, right? Yeah, don't worry about the money
0: until you get to a hundred people, or don't worry about sales. <laughs> don't worry about that. You it's get not to
1: our money. actual <laughs> advice. No it's one listens to that.
2: That's the thing about like HR and just you know how organizations run. We could be more proactive about the people stuff. That'd be fantastic. Like, l- can we listen to the employees and ask them what they need and what they want and how what things could be better? And same with the leaders. It's like, what tools do you need to to Managing employees are a function. Like, what kind of tools could we help you with? You know, yeah. and I, I think then issues won't bubble up later on because I think yeah. that's what, what's happening is you start throwing resources at a problem because something bubbles up and then it's harder to find the root cause versus if yeah. you're just being proactive about it. I think you head off a lot of these problems long term.
0: Yes. And you're reacting, and often you also have trauma. I mean, I'm sure this is true for your Xenium colleagues, but we, we find that organization after organization that we have the privilege of coming in and trying to help has a history that has a trauma story for those employees or the culture that is difficult to heal. It's easier to build a healthy culture that's good for people from the beginning than it is to recover from a trauma or a claim or a big diversity issue or something after the fact you know, so, um, but, but that's not often how it goes. So then we not only have to heal and recover, we, we, and then build. <laughs> um, so yeah, lots of opportunities there, I think for a different, a whole different
1: mindset for leaders. Okay. Brandon, back to you. Who has inspired you? There's two questions coming that we're going to wrap up. Okay. The first one is who has inspired you lately and why doesn't necessarily have to be about work um, and then the last one is: How can our audience of brilliant, good people support your work?
2: Okay, so can I take this question in a couple different ways? The admirer, absolutely. Bar? Okay, yes, so yes. I don't really have a lot of specific people. I've I read a ton. I follow a lot of people on like LinkedIn, you know, like influencers and stuff.
0: Let I me just say you would... do read a lot because what does your bio say? You read like forty-five books.
2: I ch- yeah, I, I I read like forty-five. I think. 45 what? books a year. At one point, you I think kids? i read like, I do. What? It's slowed down a little bit because of there's so many activities, <laughs> but it's, it's hard. Yeah, it's hard to keep up anymore. You but I do, I, I, I still read at least 30 yeah. books a year or more. So okay. I sample a lot of different ideas. And so it's hard to just hone in on like one. What I'll say here is, and this is really related to social media, but I admire people who take a stance, who say something unique and don't really care about pissing people off or what they think because i i have never been able to do that personally and i'm maybe doing a little bit on this episode because i told you i was and you were holding me accountable for it but i i don't do that on social media or anything (laughs) like that because i i truly am fearful about like what people think of me and it's just like something that's so ingrained in me but when i look at marketing people who I admire and people in the HR leadership space who are saying something so different and unique goes against the grain in some ways. I'm like, that just like gets me to think a little differently. It's like, even if you don't agree with it, it's just like, I admire the fact that you're taking a stance. You know, there's some people that are pretty divisive in the HR leadership space, but I don't, I don't mind it. Like, even if I disagree with them, I actually, I I appreciate it because it's a different perspective. So that's, that's sort of a weird way to answer that, uh, you know, yeah, Adam grants the world, Brene Brown, Mo Carrick, you know, like, people ah, <sighs> sure I, I admire.
0: thank you. Hey, a side note. Are you familiar with the work of Jeffrey Pfeffer?
2: Yes. I, um, I did not interview him, but I did a, a podcast with somebody else. We read his book, Dying for a Paycheck.
0: Oh, awesome. I just think Jeffrey's one of those people. For me, he's one of those people who's like pushing, pushing, pushing. He's like, by the way, layoffs don't work. They don't help yeah. your business. So right. just stop that crap. You know, I just love the way he puts it out there. So
2: um, the second question you had about how can you support, let yeah. go check out the podcast that I have. Uh, I interview some really interesting people. Mo's episode that I did several years, we did together. That's like one of the highly downloaded ones that we've, we've had talking about Brave Space Workplace. So just go check out the, the, there's a variety of topics on there too. So it's like, you can just skip around if, if you want. If, otherwise subscribe i would appreciate that or go check out zeniumhr.com
0: your mm. your podcast is so i love your podcast because it's it really does cover a lot of ground and you've been at it a long time so you like how many episodes do you have now
2: uh, we're going to publish 400 in 2 weeks
0: i love it and the the divergence of thought that you get on there is really good i can really underline um, the value people will
2: get i've tried to interview as diverse as possible
1: yeah. Brennan, thank you for coming this is a thank lot you of fun. for spending time with us that's and taking that and taking the careful uh, lid off there on some of your opinions i appreciate it really yeah. good stuff thank you anytime you want to come back and be a little more rowdy we'll have you back <laughs> that's right <laughs> just let us know i appreciate bye. it bye
0: whoa all right good conversation right did it get your wheels turning about your culture and how you might build it to be good for people from the inside out? Email us at info at to learn more about the inside job, our signature custom culture building product for small businesses. Can't wait to hear from you and thanks so much for listening.